for Driving Forces coming up at 5 p.m. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. Stay tuned. Welcome back to WBAI. This is Driving Forces, your weekly dose of politics and policy, where we bring you conversations with the newsmakers and the newsbreakers, the experts and the analysts and the journalists and the people they cover who often have a lot to say. So I am your co-host, Jeff Simmons, and as always, joined by my wonderful co-host, Celeste Katz, uh, this afternoon. Celeste, how are you doing? Doing great, Jeff. Always happy to be here with you. So obviously, lots in the news this week. Both you and I have been uh, following what has gone on with the Derek Chauvin trial and the verdict. Uh, I've had a number of conversations with neighbors and friends just about their feelings at this time. You know, how, what's the impression you have had, the reaction you're hearing from people? Yeah, I think that certainly we've been hearing from a lot of people who feel like justice was served in this case, that uh, the police officer in question, Derek Chauvin, and I think it is important to refer to this as the Derek Chauvin trial and not the George Floyd trial, uh, but found guilty, of course, on uh, all counts, uh, second degree unintentional murder, third degree murder, second degree manslaughter. I think people feel like justice was served, but this is really only the beginning of a greater reckoning in this country and a, a much harder look at uh, how uh, police uh, conduct and race relations work in this country. You know, and it's, it's really yet to be seen what impact this is going to have long term. Clearly, something we talk about here a lot on the show, uh, friction between Republicans and Democrats on almost anything. Uh, you wonder what Democrats and Republicans will be able to come to an agreement on and pass. You know, uh, one story that I had read, I think it was uh, in CNN, had just talked about in this post-Trump climate, Celeste, you know, we're headed into the towards the midterms. And will Republican legislators then seek to appeal to voters by adopting a more law and order stance and to demonize Democrats as radicals who want to defund the police at this time? Yeah, I think the whole question of defunding the police, what does that mean, uh, is going to be a continuing issue. And certainly there are people who believe that the entire law enforcement system in this country is broken. I think that there are other people, perhaps more people, who feel like there are some aspects of it that work and are entirely necessary, but that the, the system should be reviewed. And, and I think it goes back to a bigger question we always have about the police, which is that we ask the police to solve a lot of problems or deal with a lot of problems in our society. But what tools do we give police to do that? We give them a gun, uh, you know, a, a nightstick or a baton, handcuffs, uh, you know, is there is there a greater meaning or should there be a you know sort of a, a tighter definition of what policing is versus what other social services or other interventions are and how does government make that happen yeah and one other point and we're going to be able to take your calls uh in about say another 15 or 20 minutes uh but one thing i would love our listeners to think about is what you think the impact of this might be because one story i read indicated that prosecutors as a result of this may now be more willing to charge police officers in, in shootings uh moving ahead because of what happened here so that's something to just think about i'd love to hear your thoughts about it uh but i believe we have our first guest on the on the line already celeste Yes, we do. And actually, we had a somewhat abbreviated program last time uh, because of some uh, additional special programming here on WBAI that ran a little bit into the hour, which is cool. But we're going to sort of jump back in time for just a moment to talk to somebody that I'm very interested in speaking with. Uh, we have, uh, Jeff just mentioned, uh, hearkened back to our now former 
president, of course. But recently, uh, the former president's wife, Melania Trump, uh, has been making a few public appearances uh, out to dinner and so on. She has been keeping a very low profile. But our next guest has actually done a lot of research and a lot of thinking about her. And she brings up some really interesting questions about uh, spouses in public life and sort of the calculations they make and how that affects our lives. So we're happy to welcome to the program now Anne Michaud. She is a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, she previously wrote a nationally syndicated op-ed column for Newsweek, excuse me, for Newsday, uh, which you may be familiar with if you've been reading uh, papers in New York City here for a while. She's won more than 25 writing and reporting awards. And in 2017, she published her first book. It's called Why They Stay, Sex Scandals, Deals, and Hidden Agendas of Nine Political Wives. And uh, very shortly, uh, While They Stay, excuse me, While They Stay, uh, will be coming out in a new edition with an update to include Melania and Donald Trump. Uh, the second uh, section, this new section, is available right now on Amazon as an ebook called American Zarina. So, Anne Michelle, welcome to WBAI. Hi, Celeste. Great to be here. Absolutely. So glad to hear your voice and uh, glad that we were able to welcome you back to the program after the uh, the sort of abbreviated session we, we had last week. So thanks for being flexible on that. Of course. So just tell us a little bit and tell our, tell our listeners why you decided to do this book in the first place and then why you felt like you needed to update it after the sort of the Trump era. Well, um, I was a reporter in New York, as you and Jeff will remember, um, back in the the aughts. And I, I was covering people like Anthony Weiner and um, Elliot Spitzer. And I would meet them, and, and as they had their sort of um, troubles with uh, scandals, I always would look behind them and see their wives who are these very impressive women with um, degrees and intelligence and I thought I didn't really get the whole um, staying with the husband bit the the good wife (laughs) bit and uh, I thought I wouldn't do it myself so is there a political calculation involved and that's why I thought that I uh, wanted to dig a little deeper and write about it. So, and we see, you know, both in America and certainly abroad, I think certainly, especially with the the British royals, for example, you know, there's always this fascination with the private lives of our leaders and their spouses. And, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, we all have covered a lot of politics uh, in New York and elsewhere. You know, these public figures, they talk about their private lives when it suits them. You know, they do an ad or on the campaign trail, they throw in a a cute little anecdote about about their kids or, or their mom or something like that. But when things sort of start going south, they ask for, quote, unquote, respect for their privacy. So I guess the question is, why do you think it's fair or even important, maybe, for us to talk about these home lives and, uh, you know, personal relationships of political figures? Well, um, I I think you're right. Um, And I do have some mixed feelings about looking at political figures, private lives. Um, But I think that Someone once said the true test of a person's character is what they do when no one's watching. And I think um, it's very easy for public figures, as you say, to choreograph um, how they appear to the to the public. Um, and I think that it's important for voters and, and um, anyone else who's relying on political figures to make good decisions, to know a little bit more about their character than just the, um, the, the choreographed face they're showing. Um, I think of one person in particular in, the, in my book. I wrote about um, former U.S. Senator David Vitter from um, Louisiana. He used to give talks at schools and, and would talk about abstinence was the only um, really good form of sex education in schools. And then, you know, just days after he gave a a talk like this, he was um, revealed that he was visiting the uh, infamous D.C. Madam, 
in in Washington. And for me, you know, I just uh, it makes me not not want to trust. So, Anna, it's wonderful to be able to uh, talk with you today. This is Jeff. You you gave Melania Trump a 10 on your white queen quotient scale. Very briefly, <laughs> can you explain what that is and why? Yeah, um, I went about this um, looking at, at these marriages in a very journalistic way and um, just sort of read about their lives, what they had been written about them, what others had said about them, what they've said about themselves, and um, found started finding a lot of similarities. Um, and so I put that together in uh, five traits that I describe in the book. Um, one of them is uh, they sort of have this respect for the patriarchy. Um, they want financial security emotional security, um, and they are building a legacy for their family uh, and themselves and their and their um, children. So um, I felt as though this was all directed toward having power at, at some point if you if you have to put like one single bottom line on it, and I felt as though um, Melania Trump was really about as transactional and um, calculating a spouse as I as I had encountered when I looked at the uh, the women in my book. And we're talking to the author, Anne Michaud, in case you're just joining us here on WBAI. This is Driving Forces, Celeste Katz-Marston and Jeff Simmons. Uh, so, Anne, I wanted to ask you, you know, the big thing to me as somebody who uh, covered Melania Trump, uh, you know, wrote a lot about that administration, wrote a lot about that era, including uh, for a certain time for a uh, women's magazine in particular, was that a lot of people really sort of questioned her and said, why didn't she do more? Why didn't she do more, uh, not only in terms of like public speaking and public appearances, but specifically, why didn't she do more to sort of rein in or speak out against some of uh, the former president's more outrageous behaviors? You know, famously, she was criticized for saying that she was running a campaign against cyberbullying. And people say, well, I guess this, you know, this is something that starts at home for you because your husband is the biggest cyberbully on Twitter or on uh, Facebook or whatever it is. So I'm just curious, you know, having looked at a lot of political wives and the, the sort of calculations and the transactions that they make, what did you think of people making those demands or having those kinds of expectations of Melania Trump and how she handled that? Well, I don't know. I think that's a little wrongheaded. Um, you know, I think people elect a person, not necessarily their spouse. Um, I think that the Clintons kind of famously ran into a problem with that when Bill Clinton was campaigning in, in New Hampshire before he ever became president. And he said, Oh, with us, you get a package deal, co-president, you know, sort of, I don't think he used that word, but just sort of hinting that he and Hillary would be um, co-presidents and, and people reacted very badly to it. So um, I don't think that it's really, and I think it's a very tricky um, calculation for any first lady to say, you know, I'm, I'm, um, He's his own man, and and I I can influence, but I don't think necessarily that um, that that's the job of the first lady. I don't think that the American people want that. Although I am very interested to read um, Karen Tumulty's new book on uh, Nancy Reagan because I think that will be very illuminating in terms of how much influence she had, um, and I. I also think that um, I'm not necessarily sure that Melania Trump sees Donald Trump as someone who needs to be reined in. I think that um, she talked about cyberbullying, but she never pointed to him and said he should stop. So I'm not, I think she probably agrees with him to a, a great deal more of a, of a, a degree than we necessarily know. 
And it's funny, Anne, because as you're talking about that, sort of like the package deal when we're electing one person, we're getting another as well. That spouse, I just uh, reflect on, I I believe, and Celeste, please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but this is sort of like what Mayor de Blasio had talked about when he got elected here in the city. You're also getting a first lady who's going to be very active. Nothing like what, you know, we're dealing with uh, on a national level with Donald and Melania Trump. I'm very curious, Anne, because as Celeste has noted, that your book is uh, being reissued, a second edition, and it'll have an update on Melania and Donald Trump. What else can we learn? I know we don't want to give away everything. People should read the book. But tell us one or two things that people can now learn in this update that might encourage them to get a copy of this book. Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I think that I found a lot of similarities between Ivana Trump, the first Mrs. Trump, and the third Mrs. Trump, Melania, um, you know, they come from the same part of the world and I think had a lot of the same attitudes. And so I spelled that out in the book. Um, I guess I would say that's probably um, my my most uh, something that I really didn't expect to, to see. So. Yeah, yeah, I guess when you have a type, you have a type, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, again, going back to the sort of the journalistic approach, too, uh, that you take in the book when looking at um, uh, Mrs. Trump, but also the other political wives. You know, what did you think of the press treatment of Melania Trump? Uh, you know, obviously, first ladies are, are viewed very differently now than they were uh, years and years ago. I mean, do you think she got a fair shake or do you think that every sort of raised eyebrow and every choice of jacket or, uh, you know, every tweet was was overjudged? Or do you think she's a public figure? Fair game. Oh, I think that um, she she was not embraced the way um, Michelle Obama or Jill Biden has been, um, or or even another Republican, Laura Bush. Um, but I also think that Melania didn't make it easy. She kind of um, stood apart, and um, she stayed in New York for several months when she first, um, when her husband was first elected. Um, she had this half-hearted agenda against, um, uh, called Be Best, I don't even think people really know what it was, uh, even now. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I just don't think she ever made it easy to embrace her as a, from, on the part of the American people, especially on the part of the, um, media. I know that, um, Stephanie Winston Wolkoff wrote in her book, um, when Melania wore that jacket that said to the to the southern border that said on the back, "I really don't care, do you?" Um, her, her her confidant Stephanie said um, Melania was trying to troll the liberals in the press, and that just I when I read that I was just taken aback. I don't think we've ever seen that kind of aggressiveness from first lady before toward the toward the media. So maybe if there wasn't an embrace, it was uh, a little bit of fault on both sides. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very interesting. I mean, sort of literally wearing a message, you know, a message board on your back, not something that I I think that we've seen. I'm I'm curious to know if you think that the way she handled the role, because as you say, it's it's not an elected position. People did not vote for uh, the first lady or maybe in the future, the first gentleman. Um, um, but I'm just curious as to do you think it'll have any effect on uh, how people conduct themselves going forward? Do you think that uh, people will look back at the uh, the time that Melania Trump was first lady and say, oh, you know, I should do this or no, I'm definitely not doing that? I think um, Melania didn't, I, she didn't grow up in this country. And I think that, um, so therefore she had some lack of knowledge that maybe you only get you know, drinking the water here as a child about what people expect of first ladies. And um, 
So I think if we have another immigrant first lady or first gentleman, that I think there will be some, maybe we'll be a little bit smarter about what to expect from that person. Um, She often said that she admired Jackie Kennedy and she would like to be a first lady like Jackie Kennedy. And I think in some ways she had this image of Jackie as a foreigner would would imagine Jackie Kennedy. She's glamorous. She's a trendsetter. Um, she's fashionable, and um, but then not sure. I'm not sure that Melania saw that she was also, you know, a champion of the arts and um, talked about raising children and keeping a home as being important things at a time when women weren't necessarily given a lot of credit for that. So I think um, maybe in the future we'll be a little bit more. Um, savvy about what it means to be an immigrant in the first lady's job. And as far as the other wives that you looked at uh, in the book, which, as we said, will be uh, updated and reissued soon, uh, was there anybody else who who sort of really caught your eye that you had a a favorite that you wrote about? Yeah, I really admire um, Silda Spitzer. Wow, Um, interesting. Tell us about why. Well, she ended up not staying in the marriage, which I think um, she the, the good wife was modeled on her, right? The uh, TV show, and I think she and the and and people in general maybe are a little bit tired of the the good wife shtick, and um, she's gone on to raise money for um, women Democrats to work in a very prestigious um, investment field for an all-woman investment firm, I think. I'm not sure she's still there, but I know she did for a while. Um, she's been active active for in, on behalf of children and uh, the environment and other um, projects that she believes in. So to me, I think that that's really an admirable way to step out from what must have been a really difficult time. Yeah, and she's a, she's a, a fascinating person. I had an you know, opportunity to interview her a number of times, interact with her. And uh, yeah, Silda Wall is definitely, definitely uh, a very accomplished woman in her in her own right. And uh, apparently uh, uh, that family looks like they're they're moving on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so Anne, tell us, uh, how can people find out more about you, about your work, uh, about the book, and what's, what's the timeline for the, uh, the re-release of everything? Well, I think um, we're looking at May 10th for publication of Why They Stay, second edition. And um, as you said, Americans Arena, the e-book, which is the new material about the Trumps, um, is available now on Amazon. You could also follow me on Twitter, which is um, my handle is a at a m m i c h a u d, which is an m me show, or on Instagram an m me show, just all one word. And um, my website is an me show dot com. <laughs> Not much variety there pretty easy. <laughs> and me show. I want to thank you so much for joining me and Celeste Katz Marston here on WBAI this afternoon. It was a pleasure. You have been listening uh, to WBAI, uh, WBAI's Driving Forces. I'm Jeff Simmons, your co-host, along with Celeste Katz-Marston. And you just heard from Anne Michaud, author of Why They Stay, Sex Scandals, Deals, and Hidden Agendas of Nine Political Wives. And the update of her book, American Zarina, is available on Amazon right now. So definitely check it out. And we are going to open up the phone lines, everybody's favorite part of this program. We certainly love it. Love to hear your thoughts about what's going in uh, on the, in the news uh, today, this week. Uh, you know, what are you thinking about? We mentioned, of course, at the top of the program, the uh, Derek Chauvin verdict. That's been a big one. We are also going to get to, of course, the New York City mayor's race. We do have Andrew Yang, candidate Andrew Yang, coming up in the next half hour. So what do you think of his candidacy? Or if you are following the race, 
who else might you be supporting and why? And are people talking about the things that matter to you? Give us a call, 212-209-2877. And each of the mayoral candidates say they have the best plan to build back our city in the aftermath of this pandemic. So with that in mind, we're going to take a very short break and bring you Starship. Reggie, play that tune. back here on WBAI Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here as always with Jeff Simmons. That was Starship. We built this city. That was a little precursor to our coming up talk with mayoral candidate Andrew Yang. Give us a call 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. Andrew Yang, what do you think? You going to vote for him? He's doing pretty well in the polls, right, Jeff? In fact, there were two polls that came out this week, uh, earlier this week, that showed him still far ahead of most of the other candidates uh, who are running for the, seeking the mayoralty here in New York City. I'm going to just tell you a little about those two polls. And again, as Celeste said, if you want to give us a call and weigh in on this race or the Derek Chauvin verdict, anything, give us a call at 212-209-2877. Poll number one. Data for Progress placed Andrew Yang at 13 points ahead of Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. Wow. He came in at 26 point, 26%. Uh, the closest then to that was Eric Adams at 13%, and then Scott Stringer at 11%. Only other candidate above 10%, Maya Wiley. 
uh, with 10% right there. So you could, that was just one of the two stunning polls that came out that still shows he has significant momentum. My former, I want to say alma mater, my former place of employment, New York One, also did a poll as well. Spectrum News, New York One, Ipsos also showed Andrew Yang captured the support of 22% of likely Democratic voters. Remember, those are the ones who are going to be voting on June 22nd. Following him, it's very similar. Eric Adams sits nine points behind him in second place at 13%. Yeah, and we certainly have uh, we have hopes of having as many mayoral candidates as possible here on Driving Forces. We did speak very recently with Eric Adams, and as we said, we have Andrew Yang coming up. Give us a call two one two two zero nine two nine. Excuse me, uh, two, I'm giving the other number two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven two one two two zero nine two. 877 is the number to call. What matters to you at this point in our lives? Uh, you know, sort of still riding out the pandemic. We've seen a lot of uh, economic consequence. We have a vaccine program that's underway. It's Earth Day. We have uh, lots of questions about climate change, uh, carbon uh, reduction, uh, a lot of things going on here right now. But what's important to you? What do you want to see the next mayor do? Or what do you think the current mayor is doing? that you like or don't like 212-209-2877-212-209-2877 and this is going to be a tough first four years for the next mayor considering what our economy has gone through and as we emerge from this pandemic in fact we haven't even gotten to this yet more vaccination news incredibly troubling news if you uh, follow what is going on globally in india the uh, rate of the virus has just been surging. And the health ministry there had reported that more than 312, there were 312,000 new infections just earlier today. I mean, this is unbelievable as cases worldwide are reaching weekly records. Most of those uh, infections are coming from India. So I believe we have a caller on the line right now. We're going to go to the caller. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and what is on your mind? Yes, Larry from Newark, New Jersey, the greatest city in the world. Hi, Larry. What's on your mind? What's on my mind is we all got away from homelessness, poverty, people sleeping at Newark Penn Station, on New York Penn Station, and we're trading that climate change. I mean, this is more important, very more more important. You got people sleeping under highways. I live over here in Newark, 280. Um, you know, you could do so much to give the food bank and your church, but this is what we got away from with being distracted with, I believe, one of the top topics of climate, of climate change. So, so, oh, go ahead, Celeste. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. So, so what do you, what do you think is the answer or what, what politicians do you think are doing a decent job of, of addressing these problems? Well, they all try to address it when um, they're running for something. I remember when Donald Trump ran and said, people are dying in the streets, and people laughed at that. He was telling the truth. He knows. You know, he lived in New York. Um, we got to put pressure on celebrities that, that harvest the most money. I mean, on LeBron James, you know, you got billions and billions of dollars. I mean, you have to trans translate that into building housing, building affordable, I mean, making a homeless shelter a decent one. I mean, these celebrities got tons of money, like Oprah Winfrey. I mean, mean, you can't take it with you when you die, so leave it here to help individuals that need it right now. That's my solution. Yeah, and I think that uh, President Biden is actually talking about that right now about taxing uh, the wealthiest Americans to pay for uh, to pay for more programming, childcare, I believe, uh, child-related programs. So, Larry, thanks for your call. And if you want to call in and tell us about what's important to you, what do you want to see people focusing on? Where are we getting lip service but not getting real results? Two one two two zero nine. Two eight seven seven two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven is the number to call. We have a few minutes before we uh, have a talk with New York City mayoral candidate Andrew Yang. Two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. 
And, you know, Celeste was giving out the numbers before, and I think we just have so many different numbers in our heads right now because, you know, one number we that's burned in our memory was the number that we had for those of you who really like listening to WBAI and would like to donate. And that number went back to the old number recently, which is great because it's much easier to remember. Uh, that number, if you would like to support BAI, you know, we do this every week because it's important to us and important to the station. That number, if you can contribute is 212-209-2950. Again, that's 212-209-2950. And you could make a contribution of any amount. Most people give $25 or more, but what Celeste and I do, we are BAI buddies. That just mm -hmm. means we are sustaining members and we give a contribution of 10 or $15 every month and it gets right on our credit card. That's when you're a BAI buddy. It just shows your long-term commitment to us. Yeah. And you know, it, it's really true. We said this before, but it worth, it's a uh, bears repeating <clears throat> after I clear my throat, pardon me. It bears repeating that you do get programming here on WBAI that you do not get anywhere else. We are very much community oriented. We give voice to people that might not, uh, might not be able to be heard otherwise, might be shut out of, uh, more traditional, uh, you know, modes of communication. So this is absolutely free speech, independent, non-commercial radio. You don't have to listen to a bunch of ads. Periodically, every once in a while, you just have to hear us ask you, please go to WBAI.org, click ways to donate, and give as generously as you can. We've been here for more than 60 years. A lot of people at this station are volunteers. Working through some very tough pandemic conditions, we are still on the air, but we are only still on the air with your support, WBAI.org. You know, and speaking of those pandemic conditions, I know this is something that many of our listeners, you know, might be reluctant to get a vaccination. Not everyone is deciding they want to get it. It is something that is a personal choice, but that is something that Celeste and I both have done. I think you have had your two shots. I have only had one so far. But there was another poll that came out this week uh, briefly, which you should know about, which is that um, it polled 3,000 New Yorkers. That's that same New York One poll that found that 11% of those polled did not have plans to get vaccinated. I believe we have another caller on the line. Great. If we do, uh, welcome to WBAI. What's your name and what's on your mind? Hi, Janice, New York. Um, Hi. I would, I'd like you to ask of Yang a few things. He hasn't been involved and he's come from nothing. I know that uh, Springer has a quite um, progressive past. I respect... Um, the Brooklyn Borough president had said that none of them seemed to speak out against the gentrification. Just walking down the street yesterday, buildings that weren't there before. While we have talk about homeless, we have, you know, thousands of homeless and people who need affordable housing. So I'd like that question addressed. And I know that he was questioned because he said something about small shopkeepers or the, the people of the street vendors. Um, he's got a double think that, and um, as far as reprioritizing the budget for the police force and training, that has to be dealt with. And Adams, I think, wants to bring back the force that existed and we got rid of. I think they were responsible for Amadou Diallo and many raids to get rid of guns, and there's got to be a better way. So I'd like those questions addressed. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much, Janice. Thanks for calling in, and we will try to get to uh, as many listener questions as we can. Uh, I think we have another caller holding before we will uh, start to get to the candidate. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Yeah, this is Scott from New Jersey. Um, Andrew Yang is good friends with the comedian Norm MacDonald, and uh, Norm MacDonald is uh, a real conservative. He's a uh you know, he was friends with George W. Bush, Donald Trump. So I think that if Andrew Yang is getting a, a conservative like that to support him, he's doing something right. What what makes it uh, what is he doing something right in the sense of he can appeal to everybody or you happen to like conservative yeah, that, views or what, what makes you think a, so? But he's appealing to someone who's so conservative. So he must be attracting people from both sides of the aisle. He's doing something good. And what do you think of him? Uh, I really haven't. Um, seen what he's wanted to do for mayor, but as president, it looked like he had uh, some good ideas. 
No, that's interesting. And that is a good point. Obviously, uh, Andrew Yang is not coming to uh, electoral politics without a little bit of a track record. He does have some experience in that area. Thank you very much, Scott, for your call. And, uh, you know, it's interesting he says that because uh, Andrew Yang had a major endorsement yesterday from New York City Council member Carlos Menchaca, who was recently on WBAI with me a few weeks ago after he ended his bid for mayor. He's considered one of the uh, furthest left members of the city council, came forward and endorsed Andrew Yang. Uh, You know, and when Menchaca was on here a few weeks ago, he had said that a number of candidates had reached out to him to court his vote. Uh, So we'll talk to him a little about that in just a moment. We've got Andrew Yang on the line now. So, uh, candidate Andrew Yang, welcome to WBAI. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Celeste. It's fantastic to be here with you. Thanks for joining us today. We really wanted this week to, you know, given the major national news that has come out, we really wanted to start off by asking you about uh, the Derek Chauvin verdict. Was this justice accountability? What are your thoughts on that verdict? Like so many New Yorkers and Americans, uh, I am uh, exultant that justice has been served. Uh, officers or former officer Chauvin is clearly guilty. The fact that he's been convicted on all accounts gives us at least a, a measure of uh, progress, really. like it, it feels like at least our country is starting to, to move forward, um, albeit far too slowly. Uh, I spent some time with uh, George's brother, Terrence, here in New York, uh, and the, the pain that his family uh, uh, has felt, uh, really, you can't describe it. So uh, it's a pleasure to have you here on the program. Uh, Glad to hear your voice. Uh, Curious, you know, bigger picture, you know, a lot of people have been talking about the need for surreal systemic change and reform uh, in policing, in law enforcement, and including uh, a movement in this country, in some places of this country, to defund the police just wanted to make sure that our listeners have a chance to hear you on what do you think of the movement to defund the police and separately, would you replace the police commissioner and with whom? Thank you, Celeste. I think most New Yorkers agree that uh, we need to evolve uh, and reform the culture of the NYPD and and also uh, invest more in terms of mental health services and uh, responders who can can uh, um, frankly uh, help people who are in distress that um, have expertise in, in social work and uh, substance abuse issues. Uh, I'm not someone who thinks that you can go in and, and frankly make a proclamation about what the appropriate funding level or resources are um, from the outside. Uh, well, a lot of New Yorkers talk to me all the time, unfortunately, about the fact that um, we are experiencing rates of, of rising crime. Uh, and so this is something that we have to try and address on multiple fronts. But I, I completely agree that we're underinvesting in many communities and need to do more. And on the question of the police commissioner. So uh, I pledge to install a civilian police commissioner in part because I think that's vital to help uh, the culture of the NYPD evolve. Uh, and so we'd head in that direction if I were mayor. Anybody in mind? You know, we, we talk to people, but one of the, the things that, um, I, I mean, I'm focused on winning this race, um, but I, I confess that sometimes I do start thinking about uh, how we're going to turn the city around and who's going to be on the team. Okay, I'm just curious. I'm sorry, I keep jumping all over you. I'll get you. I'll get you in a minute, Jeff. <laughs> just one last question there. Um, you know, and this is something that I think we're going to get to separately. But um, uh, what are your thoughts on a police commissioner who is either a person of color or a woman? Well, I, I think either of those would be positive. Um, well, one of the goals I have is to have the leaders of city government represent the incredible diversity of our city uh, in different respects. I also want to. Um, mention a proposal I have that I think many New Yorkers would agree with. I want new police officers to live in New York City. We already require that of other city agency employees, uh, and I I think having police officers live in the city uh, would both help them understand the neighborhoods and culture better, but also would increase public safety during their off hours. 
And we just had a few listener calls before, and something came up with one of the callers that leads me into a question I was already planning to ask you about Carlos Menchaca. You know, one of the things he has expressed concern about uh, during his campaign and during his tenure in the council has been how gentrification can change neighborhoods. You know, he's considered one of the furthest left uh, 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 current city council members. I'm curious because of all those who reached out to him to say, you know, you know, endorse me, support me. What was it? What factor do you think led him to endorse you in, in this race? Jeff, I am so grateful to have Carlos's endorsement. Uh, he's such a tremendous fighter for the people and leader. Um, and the thing that I would hesitate on is really categorizing people in terms of, you know, left or uh, moderate or, or, or whatever, like the, the labels are. Carlos is someone who wants to help people every day, uh, solve problems and improve our way of life. Uh, I consider myself the same. Uh, and so I, I'm so thrilled to have his endorsement. Uh, he's someone that I'm going to, to, to uh, be work, I mean, I'm working with on this campaign for sure. And if, if we uh, do end up uh, winning, like I can't wait to help solve problems alongside Carlos. And, and I know that endorsements, you know, are, uh, are rather challenging sometimes. You know, I was, uh, in fact, on the call last night. This just popped up in the New York Times a short while ago. I was on the call with Stonewall Democrats last night. Uh, I have a horse in another race, so that's why I was listening. And I watched your remarks. Uh, the Times piece is somewhat critical, saying that some of the members of the Stonewall Democrats were very concerned about how you approached some of the answers. But I want to give you an opportunity, given the, those criticisms, to be able to respond and tell us how you felt you did, if you felt you uh, handled this properly, or you know, or you have uh, another thought about the reaction you're getting to your comments last night. Well, I, I was thrilled to be included in the forum, uh, thrilled to express my uh, my support for. Uh, the LGBTQ voters, uh, and no, I, I hope those sentiments came through. I mean, you were at the forum, so you know you have a sense of it. Um, but I, I want to get our city back on its feet as quickly as possible, and uh, get people in position, frankly, to be able to enjoy our city again. And that certainly includes uh, the LGBTQ uh, voters as well as everyone else. If you're just joining us, this is WBAI New York's Driving Forces. Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz-Marston, and we're speaking right now with Andrew Yang, candidate for mayor of New York. And I wanted to ask you, uh, recently you had a conversation with the editorial board of my old paper, the Daily News, during which uh, they reported that you said we are long overdue uh, for a woman mayor in this city. So obvious question, got to ask, uh, if you believe that we are long overdue for a woman mayor, how come you are running for mayor yourself as opposed to supporting a woman for that office? Well, Celeste, the nature of this process is that we all put ourselves forward to the will of the people. Uh, but I do think that we're overdue for a, a woman mayor. I think that organizations run better when men and women are working in tandem. And I think you, you might have heard that in my um, in that same interview, I said that my second choice for mayor is Catherine Garcia, uh, who I think would be a phenomenal partner uh, in, in government. Um, she's someone who's had uh, a wealth of experience. Um, I'm also proud, frankly, to, to be uh, a contender for mayor uh, who may be the first Asian-American uh, candidate um, to, to actually wind up in City Hall at this level. Um, so, you know, that there are different um, ways we can make progress. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No question. Just curious, uh, you know, since it did come up and then just to stay on that for one more moment. So you've mentioned some of the people, uh, you know, running alongside you in the field that you uh, respect, that you like their work. Are there specific people among them that if you should win, you would uh, choose to appoint as deputy mayors? Well, certain Catherine, again, uh, jumps to the top of my, of my mind. Uh we are definitely going to need all hands on deck to get our city heading in the right direction. And anyone who wants to help New York City, I'm going to want to work with, uh, regardless of, frankly, <laughs> you know, what they might have said about me during this race. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think that's what New Yorkers want right now. They, they want uh, some uh, a team that's just going to be focused on making our city work better, um, that's not particularly ideological, but that's practical. And, you know, I want to get to a topic that Celeste and I have been talking about for a number of weeks now this year. We've witnessed the increase in AAPI violence and hate across the city. 
what do you, what, when you look at what's happening in the city and across our country, what does it say to you about the climate in our city and country? And have you personally been witness to this ever victimized, uh, you know, by anyone uh, who has uh, attacked you because of your ethnicity? Well, it's been a devastating time for so many people in New York City, including uh, Asian American uh, New Yorkers who have suffered various forms of harassment or even violence. But I'm going to tell a story, Jeff, um, that I think helps speak to this issue. Um, there was uh, an attack on the Staten Island Ferry a number of weeks ago um, where a photographer was attacked by um, a mentally ill uh, person. Um, and I intervened in that attack. And then several weeks later, that same person uh, attacked an elderly Asian American uh, gentleman on the subway. Um, and so there, there's a real overlap, unfortunately, between some of these hate crimes and mental health issues in New York City. We have a shortage of mental health beds and resources. We have to do more to get people help because that incident reads as a hate crime. But having met the person, I know that uh, it's overlapping with mental health issues that that person was struggling with. And do you think that it is currently um, either in New York City or federally um, too difficult to categorize certain crimes as bias crimes or hate crimes? Should there be another category? Should the uh, should the parameters be different? Because a lot of times what we hear is that uh, either people report things, but they can't really be classified as hate crimes. And we also hear separately that a lot of times people hesitate to report at all, either because uh, they're afraid of some sort of ramifications or because they think the police won't take them seriously? It's a fact that a lot of these incidents are going unreported, Celeste. I've talked to an Asian American woman, for example, who was punched in the face and never read the word about it to uh, anyone in in city authorities. So there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, A lot of it will involve getting our city back on its feet again, because if you have a subway car filled with people, it's a lot safer than uh, a near empty one. If you have a city street that's filled with pedestrians and people out and about, as opposed to a darkened street where the restaurants lights are are off. Um, So we're going to feel better as, as soon as we get, frankly, our city back up and running again. And I think that's going to contribute to people feeling safer and more secure on their streets and in their neighborhoods. And we know we only have about a minute or two left. You know, we appreciate that you're calling in here to WBAI. We're a very progressive radio station, even though this is, you know, the news block. Uh, on this show, we have had a number of guests who often the listeners will give us their opinion and say they were dissatisfied because they were in the Republican Party or not progressive enough. And thinking about that, you have done a number of shows that promoted a strongly anti-progressive show, view like Joe Rogan's last year, long before you joined this race. What's your rationale behind appearing on shows like, uh, you know, where it's not necessarily your you know, far left progressive or far right view? Well, certainly, Jeff, when I was running for president, uh, I was trying to gain uh, some degree of traction and support uh, in any number of environments. Um, you know, uh, I, you know, and I, I don't consider myself, um, you know, in any particular ideological camp. I, I'm someone who just wants to improve people's lives and, uh, and help. Um, certainly, the universal basic income platform that I ran on as president um, now has become mainstream political wisdom as 55% of Americans are forward in perpetuity, 85% are for cash relief during this pandemic. Uh, and we are experiencing a version of it with the $1,200 checks, with the child poverty tax credit, with the $1,400 checks. Uh, and, and so I'm just someone who wants to help move our city and our country forward. Uh, and I hope that that feels very progressive um, because, you know, uh, having someone like Carlos uh, as an endorser, I think, indicates where our values are. We need to help people to a much higher degree than we have. And a lot of that help revolves around, frankly, making our government more human and more responsive. Um, there are far too many people who need a hand that if they reach up to reach out to the government, uh, you know, they get sort of this disembodied bureaucratic response. We can do better than this. 
Uh, and finally, if we have uh, time for one more question, uh, you know, going back to the fact what you said that you would be uh, uh, you would be breaking a barrier of sorts if you became the first Asian American mayor of New York City. Do you think that do you think that should matter? Should that be sort of a point that people should take into consideration when deciding whether to support you? Or would you uh, would you think that your your race, your ethnic background should not be relevant to your qualifications in any way? Uh, Celeste, I'm running for mayor because I think I can speed up our recovery. I mean, our city is badly wounded, uh, and I think I can help. But I was profoundly touched when uh, you know, when someone came up to me, uh, who frankly was not Asian, um, and said to me, it, it would be awesome uh, for us to have the first Asian-American mayor. Like, that, that was very, very meaningful to me. And he said this to me in the throes, frankly, of the anti-Asian violence that, that we've seen. I hope that I can be a mayor for all New Yorkers that makes us feel good about our city again. And how can people find out more about you and your campaign? I wish we had more time. Oh, well, well thank you for asking, Celeste. Uh, you can just go to yangforny.com or Google Andrew Yang or andrewyang.com. Any of those things will work. But let's get our city going again. It, we've been down for too long. Uh, I think this is going to be the summer of love. <laughs> let's Let's get going in the right direction. Andrew Yang, thank you so much for joining us today here on WBAI. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Jeff. So another show is coming to a close. And yes, Celeste and I often, uh, we enjoy our summers of love. Uh, and, uh, as we, <laughs> as we, as we get ready to close, I'm really uh, happy that he uh, was able to call in. I know our time is short. We always have to wrap the show a few minutes before the, uh, top of the hour or end of the hour, rather. I want to thank our guests. Uh, actually, Celeste, would you like to thank our guests? And I'll tell you what's coming up Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. We'd like to thank uh, Anne Michaud. She is the author of Why They Stay, Sex Scandals, Deals, and Hidden Agendas of Nine Political Wives. The addendum, the update to that book, is now separately available as American Zarina on Amazon. And, of course, we'd like to thank uh, mayoral candidate Andrew Yang. Just had some uh, interesting conversation with him, and uh, you can hear it certainly on replay as soon as this show is archived. But, Jeff, first, what do we have coming up? Well, I also want to give some props to Reggie for always making this show happen. So thank always. you so much, Reggie. Always, Reggie. Uh, this Sunday on City Watch at 10 in the morning, David Brand, my co-host, will be in the anchor seat. He's going to focus on tourism. The mayor just announced, announced a major tourism initiative to bring people back to New York City. David will be talking with a few guests, including Rob McKay of the Queens Economic Development Corporation and Queens Tourism Council. That is City Watch, 10 a.m. this Sunday. So with that, Celeste and I would like to say thank you so much for tuning in today to Driving Forces on WBAI. Keep the dial on 99.5 FM because coming up shortly is the news with Paul DiRienzo. Have a great day. turned 67 years old in very poor health well into his 40th anniversary of wrongful incarceration and fraudulent conviction the Fremomia Coalition New York City will be heading to Philadelphia on Saturday April 24th 10 a.m. demanding his release with mobilization for Mamiya for those who choose to stand with Mamiya and abolition of the prison industrial complex call the Fremomia Coalition hotline for a seat on the bus 212-330-8029 or visit bus at Fremomia.com Black Lives Matter Fremomia now I'm Marcia Pendleton, the host of Backstage Stories on WBAI New York. 
This week, our guest is Golden Globe Award winner Regina Taylor. The renowned actor, playwright, and activist is a formidable creative force whose career spans theater, television, and film. We'll talk about her latest project, The Black Album, a multifaceted initiative that explores Black identity and theater making. Join us on Thursday, April 22nd at 9 p.m. for a compelling conversation with Regina Taylor on Backstage Stories. Tonight on Folk Radio, the music of the late, great English singer, songwriter, Sandy Denny. Tune in to WBAI tonight at 10 p.m. for Folk Radio and the music of Sandy Denny. Well, it's many, many 